because I want to give God a standing ovation. Can we just give God a standing ovation for who he is and the things he does? That we woke up this morning, as the elders said, clothed in our right minds. Hallelujah. We're so grateful. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day that you have made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, to stand and speak for you, to hear your word, Lord. It is a privilege. And we pray, Lord, as we get into your word, that you would give us the wisdom, the revelation, the knowledge we need to walk this out practically. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, as Pastor Paul said, we come from Grace Covenant Church. And first, I'd like to thank uh, Pastor Paul and, and Taylor for the invite to come speak. Um, I am so grateful that God would trust me like this. Um, I always love to give honor to my husband, Pastor Sean Perkins. I would not be able to do this without his covering and his support. So you see us with Rise t-shirts. Some of the team is here. Team, can you raise your hand, everybody from Rise? Thank you for your support today. My awesome daughter is with me. Um, we are getting ready to plant a church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina called Rise Community Church. Some have already moved and we will be moving in August and the team is moving down up until the spring of 2020. So we're excited that God is trusting us to go down there and be his hands and feet on the ocean. Yeah, it's a hard job. Somebody has to do it. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and suffer for Christ in Myrtle Beach. <laughs> But we're going to jump in the word. I'm sure you have your Bible. So if you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 is where we're coming from today. Um, as you're turning there, I always like to thank our, our spiritual father, Pastor Brett Fuller, and his wife, awesome wife, Cynthia Fuller. I am the woman I am today because she poured into me. So you never know how you're reached. All of these other people that I've been able to touch is because of their reach. And so I'm just so grateful for Pastor Brett and Cynthia. We love them. They are spiritual parents, and we will forever be grateful and take care of them. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, and it reads, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with you with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Father, we thank you for your word that transforms, touch our intellect, touch our intimacy with you. Lord, may we leave here transformed, not just more information, Father, we want revelation, revealed truth to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, as we uh, talk today briefly, uh, the title, if you're taking notes, is called 3D Living. And again, coming from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 5. So if you don't know how you're made, there, it's impossible to live in 3D. You are spirit, soul, and body. So when you hear the scripture talk about wholeness, that's what it's talking about, spirit, soul, and body. Before you get saved, your spirit is not activated. You have it, but it's not activated. How many of you have ever bought a cell phone? Bought a cell phone for my husband and wanted to surprise him for Christmas. So they said, well, tell you what, we won't activate this phone. We'll put it in what we call a parking lot. 
And when you give it to him on Christmas, just tell him to dial this number and the phone will activate. Now, I had the, the phone in my possession, but there was no power because it was not activated. The moment you receive Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in, and now you're activated in the Spirit to, to live a life of wholeness. And so we're going to talk about uh, Corinthian church. This was a letter that Paul rent to, wrote to Corinth, and Pastor Paul let me know you are in a series called Spirit-Filled, which I think is amazing because if we are not spirit-filled, how many you know we're just people go, going around just giving further information? And we live in an information age. Now, I'm going to date myself. When I was growing up, the TV turned off at midnight. Yes, the national anthem would come on, the flag would fly, and then at midnight, static. There was nothing else until about 6 a.m. Anybody, uh, anybody else? Can somebody help me? Am I? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. Y'all remember that. Now you get 24-7, any kind of flavor you want, you just turn on the dial and you can find it. We live in an information age. Have you ever just took the time daily to see how much you're on your phone? Most of the time we wake up and that's the first thing we grab. I've seen couples in the restaurant and neither one of them are talking because they're on their phone. How many times have you really logged how much you're on your cell phone? how much it pulls on us, the information. Your phone dings and you could barely get to it to see what is it. Is it a notification? Somebody need me? What? There's something pulling on our soul all the time. Well, here we have to, to talk about what happened. It's almost if Paul starts in, in mid-sentence where I'm starting. So it's almost like he's saying therefore. And when you hear therefore, you got to go before to see why he's saying therefore. So let's talk about what happened before he said this. And basically what was happening is he planted a church on his second missionary journey to Corinth. That it was a mixture of people, Romans, Greeks, and Jews, and they were all coming in out of pagan um, lifestyles. So they had come, he'd set up the church, thought everything was good, and then the house of Chloe writes him a letter and says, uh, Paul, flag on the play, we got a problem. There's a whole lot of confusion going on in the church. There's division, there's marriage problems, we have a, an issue with a family doing, dealing with incest. We got a whole lot going on, Paul, that you did not teach us. So we're gonna need you to speak into this and help us set order. And that's where we step in, in verse one of 1 Corinthians chapter two. Paul is responding to what he heard, and it's a continuation because in chapter one, as you read it, um, what you'll see is him beginning to address, hey, I'm hearing this, and let's, let's go back to what God has said. So I'm going to do three points this morning that I believe kind of culminate in, this, in these verses uh, 1 through 5, and it is your declaration, your determination, and your demonstration. Your declaration. He talks about in verse 1, he says, wait a minute. When I came to you, I didn't come to you in superiority of speech. And the reason he said that is because these were a bunch of intellectuals. Now, when you think about Corinth, it was like 50 miles west of Athens. So Corinth was like New York, and Athens was like California. Imagine them coming together. The hodgepodge of intellect and people, and everybody had their own idea, and they were all trying to bring it into the church, and it was causing division. So Paul was saying, wait, 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 wait. Let's back this up and realize why we're in unity, and it's because we are all following Christ. 
So we're not unified. If Pastor Paul and I agree, it doesn't mean we're unified. Because just because we agree, how many of you, it could be two wrong people. <laughs> Unification is when you agree with God. Yeah. And I agree with God, he agrees with God, and now we have unity. And that's what Paul was saying. This section over here agrees, and this section over here agrees, and this section agrees, but you're all divided. Because this one isn't agreeing with this one that's not agreeing with this one. And it was causing issues in the church that were not being examples to the world. So it was just like you didn't know what was the world and what was the church. So Paul was saying, flag on the play, everybody. Let's go back to the speech that God gave us originally. You'll see in, in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, you were enriched in all speech and knowledge. So what happened? So it wasn't if they didn't know what to do because Paul was there for about 18 months. And he was going through the purple book. He went through the one-to-one. He taught them all the foundations. He taught them the speech. I call it covenant language. Um, my daughter who's here, when she was little, her um, babysitter was Hispanic, Latino. And what I didn't realize is that Nicole was speaking Spanish way before she was speaking English. And so I'm thinking, this baby is delayed. I'm praying over her speech, laying hands on her father. I don't know what's wrong. She's talking, I'm not understanding. And one day my husband was home and he's law enforcement officer and part of where his district was, there was a, a large Latino population. So he knew a lot of Spanish. So one day he's home getting ready for work and he hears um, my daughter and I talking and she's saying, a key, a key. And I'm like, girl, you're not getting my keys. <laughs> so he busts out laughing and she, he said, she's trying to tell you to come here. I was like, what? <laughs> then, didn't, still didn't dawn on a sister. A couple weeks later, I'm at the babysitter's picking her up, and the babysitter says something to her, and Nicole talks back to her, and they're going back and forth, and I'm going. So I said to the sitter, did you understand what she said? She said, yeah. I said, what did she say? So the babysitter told me. She said, you know your daughter's been speaking Spanish for about six months. I was like, what? here laying hands on her thinking she delayed and she's speaking another language <laughs> so she was communicating with me but how me know it wasn't effective because I didn't speak Spanish Paul is saying look I taught you all English you were coming into the congregation with your own language and there's a covenant language that I taught you and this speech is one of excellence because it comes from our father so he's saying, we got to go back. I got to take you back to the basics and teach you the speech that God gave us that was in knowledge. And so we all need to come on one accord and talk like God talks. So in that, he's saying we need to make a declaration that sounds and is heaven. And the declarations that were coming out of their mouth were nowhere near advancing the kingdom it was still rooted in their pagan ideas and mindsets. But before we throw stones, isn't that where we all come from? We all have different mindsets. We've all grown up differently, some Catholic, some Baptist. Um, what do you call your Baptist Pentecostal? There it is, Baptocostal. We are a mixture and a hodgepodge of backgrounds in here. So what will unify us? What will bring us to a place where we can all be reconciled and work together for one purpose. Yeah. It's learning the heart of God 
the speech of God, the purpose of God, and all of us walking in that. And so we need to make sure that our declaration is rooted and grounded in scripture and his word and knowledge and wisdom and understanding that can only come from him. Which means now we all have a personal responsibility. We can't come and blame Pastor Paul or Pastor Sean or Pastor Donnell because they didn't teach me this on Sunday. We all have a responsibility to get into the word and learn the language so that when somebody else is speaking a different language, we don't, it doesn't compute for us because we know the language of the kingdom of God. It's covenant. It has reconciliation in it. It's redemptive. It speaks of unity in God's heart. So here the people, the first thing he does is let's, let's take this back. We got to work on what you're saying here and what you're doing. Now in it, um, he says, I didn't come in wisdom. Now this wisdom isn't the wisdom that comes from God. The uh, original word means Sophia, which is man's intellect or their, their way of thinking. And that's the dilemma that all of us have to deal with when we cross the threshold into the kingdom of God. Because God begins to unpack the way we think because it's so opposite of the kingdom. So we all start off as infants and we begin to grow in the faith and begin to take on God's mindset, God's heart. So what he was saying, I didn't come to you, church, with the world's mindset that you're trying to bring in here. I came to you with a wisdom that's heavenly, that's divine. And I need you to grab hold of that, take ownership of it, and not allow the world to come in here. I love calling this place, this is the locker room for me. And you have the coach, and we're talking about the X's and the O's, but how many know you're the one that has to get on the field? Now, I'm so glad that every team has a practice field. Could you imagine teams that don't have practice fields, what they would look like on the playing field? It would be chaotic, and we would want our money back because I didn't pay all this money to see y'all down there fumbling the ball like that. They practice over and over and over again so that when they get on the playing field, they have the spirit of excellence about them. They can get the job done. Well, guess what? All of us that have received Christ as Savior, this is the practice field. We get to practice on how to love one another, forgive one another, get along with one another. How many know that's not easy? You know, there's some things in Scripture I don't want to do. Can I get a witness? Sometimes I don't want to love my enemy. I want to tell them off. I want to tell them exactly what has come to my mind. That's what I really want to do. And I'm so grateful that Jesus had the same moment. Remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Father, if this cup can pass from me. What he was saying, God, I don't want to do this. I know we talked about this. We're in this moment. But I'm saying if there's another way, a brother wouldn't be mad. But he had a nevertheless kind of faith. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, that's relationship. And that's what Paul was trying to get to them. Look, I taught you the speech. I taught you the knowledge. But it's not going to be activated until it becomes intimate with you. It can't be about your intellect. It must transfer to intimacy, relationship with God. You ever hear somebody say, I'm not really religious? What they're saying is I'm not really in the world system of going to church and I check off the box and I pray after I eat or before I eat and I do all the right. I'm a good person. God said true religion are those who visit the orphans and the strangers and the widows. 
That's true religion. But here he's talking about relationship, not what you do, but who you are in Christ. Each and every one of us have been given an invitation to have an intimate relationship with God. As Pastor Paul was sharing about the, the young man from Princeton, I was shocked. One of our prayer leaders who's in our prayer group um, was accepted to Princeton and went up there. Um, and she called me. She goes, Pastor G, I can't do this. It's, it's dark. And I'm thinking, it's a seminary. How dark can it be? She said, you don't understand. Like, we'll be in Bible study one minute, and they party in the next like they don't know Jesus. She said, I made a mistake. I said, before you pack your bags, let's pray. Let's see what God is going to say. So he told her to start what we call prayer shield in our church, to start a prayer shield up there. There were three people, including herself, and they would just come together on Friday nights like we do. We'd worship and allow the Holy Spirit to say what he wanted to say. There were particular prayer points. We believe, you know, the Great Commission from um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem was their closest to their home, so we pray for our home first. Then we work our way out into Judea, which was our neighborhood, our city, local government. Then we'd work our way out to Samaria, which is our nation and our president. And then the uttermost parts of the earth, we'd usually have a nation that we were focused in on to pray for. And so she just started that. She said all of a sudden the Holy Spirit started showing up and he was, he was touching people, healing them, speaking to them, so much so that the ones that were there, the two that were there, went and told other people. So they would come, not for the Holy Spirit, but to see what is up with this. What in the world is she talking about? So then they would come, and eventually it kept growing and growing till they had about 30 people. So a professor heard about it and came to the meeting saw the Holy Spirit show up like they've never seen, and they went to the leader and said, um, how did you know how to do this? She said, do what? She's like, like this prayer meeting and, you know, what, what's happening? I, I don't understand. Now, this is a professor preaching theology, but is now coming into the contact, being activated by the Holy Spirit. So she said, well, my pastor taught me. And she said, do you think your pastor would come up here and teach us? She said, well, I don't know, I'll call her. So she calls me and says, um, there's a professor up here that would like you to come up and teach what you taught us. Okay. So we get a team and we go up to Princeton and I start prophesying and praying in their chapel. And sure enough, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. It wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit in me. And he began to heal people inside out, talk to them about their situations, and they realize we've been missing something. This was the Corinthian church. They had the form of godliness, but they didn't even know what they're missing because they never had an opportunity to be introduced in that way. And that's what was happening at Princeton. So we're up there and all of a sudden, one of the girls that came up from our church realizes that the president used to be her former pastor. So she calls while we're there, and he says, man, I'm out of town, but the next time, if you're in town, please let me know. We did that. He, he put it, us on his calendar. He didn't know me from Adam. He comes. He's very cordial, very nice, and, and thanks us for coming up to pray for the campus. And all of a sudden, the Lord gives me, the Holy Spirit starts to speak to me about him. So I'm like, now how do I begin to prophesy over this Protestant um, president of this seminary. So the Lord said, just pray for him. 
So I asked him, do you mind if I pray for you? And he said, sure. So I prayed what I felt the Holy Spirit was saying. And he looked at me like, who in the world are you? Because you just read my mail like you have my last name. He was so impacted that the next time he heard we were coming up, he put me on his calendar. What time can you meet me? And we, we worked it out, went in his office, and before we met, we were just in a, a conference room. He ushered us quickly into his office, no small talk, leans across the desk and says, what you got for me? <laughs> How many of you know he had an encounter? It wasn't about me, it was about the Holy Spirit in me. And he felt the love of God before that drew me again to him, not because again of me, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So I was declaring the speech in which God was speaking over his life that ministered to him and made him want to hear more about what the Holy Spirit wanted to say. Now, how many you know he don't need me to do that? All he has to do is ask the Lord himself. But God will use us to help people, to introduce them to the spirit side, the three-dimensional side, so that they're activated and now they can hear the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Paul was coming back to do, set order in the church and say, wait a minute, we have to rely on the spirit. This can't be a fleshly work. When Paul was talking to the church in Ephesus, he said to them, you must be spirit-filled. That word in the Greek means continual. So it's not just a one-time feeling and we're done. It's a continual feeling. Well, if you're continually filled, what does that mean, y'all? You have to be what? Empty. You have to be pouring out. This bottle is totally empty. There's nothing in it, dry as a bone. I have met saints that are so dry as a bone. I said, you know what? If I wasn't saved, I wouldn't be saved because of you. <laughs> Can we just keep this real? There's like no excitement. I go to church and that's it. But that, and I'm not throwing stones, please forgive me, because I've been there. It's just that I didn't have a relationship. It was religion for me. So it wasn't about intimacy, it was about intellect. And so when I went to church, it was learn the things you're not supposed to do, prayerfully I won't do them, and if I do, God will forgive me. That was the extent of my relationship with the Lord. Dry as a bone. Now who in the world am I gonna help who's thirsty if I don't have any water in me? So then you have those that are half full. This means I love the Lord, I'm going to come to church, but I'm going to leave room for Satan. There's a little bit of room in there for him. So we're going to come to church, we're going to usher, we're going to sing on the worship team, we're going to be an AV, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to be there. But just know I'm not really filled because there's room for other things. So the moment something else comes up, you get game tickets for the game on a Sunday and we know that's a temptation in our area because a lot of Redskins go to our church and they're forever like, hey, we got tickets today. And it'd be last minute and I'm looking for everybody like, now who is going to take these tickets? But not condemnation, but you know what I mean. Just <laughs> what are you gonna do? Is there room for anything else in you? But when it says spirit filled, and this isn't even really filled because there's still room. This is God's ideal of filling where when you keep pouring out, he keeps pouring in, and there's no room for anything else. That's how he wants us to look in the continual. So when I'm ministering to you, you don't get my full, you get my overflow. Yeah. <clears throat> Amen? That's a spirit-filled life. 
Hebrews 8.10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. What is he saying? I had all these Ten Commandments on tablets, and people were checking it off, and I don't know how much you know about the law, but back then if you broke one, you broke them all. So you got the fulfillment of the law if you broke one. And he's saying now they're doing this inter intellect, but it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with them not wanting to get punished or judgment. So he said, this time, I'm not going to write it on tablets. I'm going to write it on their heart. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Everybody say relationship. That's what God is looking for. He's not looking for a people that will dress up and be nice to each other on Sunday or Wednesday. He's looking for a people that are willing to step into relationship with him, that his word would be written on our hearts that we might not and will not sin against him. That's the heart of our father, that he wants to be a daddy and he wants us to be his children. Proverbs 18, 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What is it saying? You have power in your tongue. What are you declaring? Look at your neighbor and say, is your lip saved? <laughs> so important to hear what's coming out of your mouth. My daughter and I had a conversation, and I don't remember it was her or somebody else. They said, my head is killing me. Now, you know, isn't that a vernacular that we hear a lot in words? Just my head is killing me. If death and life are in the power of the tongue, what are we really declaring over ourselves? So sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, that's just too, you know, just too picky, too. But if death and life are in the power of the tongue, it didn't say your motivation or how you really meant it, but death and life are in the power of the tongue, guess what? This sister going to speak life. Just in case when I'm speaking, We'll go and do an assignment. A lot of what's happening in our life is, is, you know, harvest. So I pray, Lord, if I said anything that was not life, I declare crop failure in the name of Jesus. And Lord, help me hear what I'm saying to make sure that it lines up. My speech lines up with what you have said. It is so important. The enemy tries to minimize things. The Bible said it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. So he's not going to get you with the big foxes. It's going to be those teeny things that you wouldn't even think could cause havoc. I was watching the news and this little boy took regular household cleaning supplies and made a bomb. And it was deep because he blew up his, his, um, excuse me, his parents' garage, but they said had he just added water, it would have never blown up. But he went on the internet and found out just these simple cleaning items by themselves not harmful unless you drink them, but he combined them all together. And I thought that's exactly how the enemy operates. He takes things that are by themselves not so harmful, but he doesn't leave them by himself. They start combining together to create something in your life that will blow up if you're not careful. And as the scientist was talking to the newscaster, he said, and if you just added water, that would have never happened. How many know God's word is the living water? Sometimes you just need to add, not sometimes, all the time, just add the word to whatever the situation is to diffuse it. Water would have diffused that bomb. Are we adding to the word to our situation, or do we even know the word to add it to the situation? 
My husband and I were flying to Myrtle Beach. As I mentioned earlier, we had bought a house. The inspectors were coming at 10 a.m. Take a flight out of Dulles. It's supposed to be leave at 8.10. We didn't leave to 8.40 because the, the flight was late. And not only was it late, the crew got off the plane to eat dinner. So you talk about the fruit of patience having to work in a system. Because <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, um, do they not know there's connecting flights? So, of course, we get to Charlotte and miss our connector flight. It was the last flight of the night. What made injury even worse is that we were right at the gate. They just closed the door. And they're telling us we can't get on this plane. So my husband is trying to get our bags because they made us check them because they put us on these little teeny plane. And even though I had to carry on, they were telling me I couldn't carry it at all. Can you see where I'm going? It's about 10, 11 at night. I'm tired. We done missed our flight because you decided to eat. <laughs> this is not good, y'all. These were little situations adding up, and a sister was trying not to blow up in the Charlotte airport. <laughs> so unfortunately, it didn't dawn on me to add water. So I'm thinking, Lord Jesus. So my husband catches up with me. I said, we missed the flight. He said, the Lord was protecting us from something. It convicted me that quick. Because I was so frustrated at the situation, I never thought perhaps God's sovereign hand is in this. Perhaps he's doing something that I don't see, and we have to trust him. But my speech did not equal heaven at that time. Now, praise God, I didn't say anything that was foul. I thought a few things that I had to calm down about. But we ended up at 11.30 at night having to rent a car that the airlines would not help us rent and drive four hours to get to our appointment at 10 a.m. God's sovereignty got us there safely. Praise God for an awesome husband because neither one of us were prepared to drive four hours at 11 o'clock at night, but he got us there safely. And I said, Lord, I don't know what all that was about, but we're going to trust you. And we're going to trust you for the provision. I had to begin to declare the water of the word in that situation. The church in Corinthian would not, would not do that. They just pulled their pagan ideas, pulled their old behavior back into the situation. If we're going to be gods, we have to be different, which leads me to point two, determination. Everybody say, your focus needs more focus. Most of the time we think we're focused in and we're not. We're focused in on what God or what we want versus what God wants. And that was my dilemma at the airport. I wanted to get to Myrtle Beach and I was tired. Didn't I miss any moment to evangelize? I don't know who was there or my mind was not there. But what we need to do is be determined to be focused. And that's what he said. When I came to you, Church of Corinth, I only came to you about Jesus and he being crucified. That's what I taught you. So tell me how we got so far from teaching about Jesus. Colossians 2, 13 and 15, when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all our, our transgressions, having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them um, by the cross. Now, why did I read that verse? Because that's us. He took our penalty because we were guilty. 
But because Jesus paid it, we got, we got to stand before the judge. And when he says, how do you plead? We said, we plead the blood because Jesus paid it for us. And he nailed all of that to the cross, all of our sins, all of the things that were against us. He nailed it. We are free. But we're not free to go back out there and sin. We're free to live a life of sanctification that brings him glory. And that's what he was telling the church of Corinth. You need to demonstrate. You need to be determined to demonstrate to the world who Christ is through your behavior, not just what you're saying. So if you're not determined, your lips will speak before your actions will. And we have to be a people that let people see Christ way before we say anything. Have you ever had somebody say, there's just something different about you? We know that difference is we're living in a different world, so to speak. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We have a different playbook. And it's not about getting the next car, the next job, the next healing. It's about glorifying the Father who is in heaven. Can I get an amen? amen. So when we understand what Jesus has done for us, then we don't live from what people have done to us. What he's done for us is so much greater. You know, if I had a choice between a bike and a train hitting me, my car, which one do you think I'm going to choose? The bike. Because the train is going to transform my car. What I want to be is transformed by God, not transformed by the word or conformed to the world. Last point, demonstration. What is coming out of you? He said, we demonstrated in the spirit and in power. Now, this spirit we know is the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the triune or the, the Godhead. So he's not an it. He's not a, okay, he's over there. It, it, he's a person, and he lives in us. Remember the Old Testament said, and the spirit lifted me, or the spirit showed up. It was visitation then. But when we got saved, the new dispensation of Jesus being crucified and died for our sins, now it's habitation. What does that mean? He's moved in. So we now house, if you've received Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit. What kind of host are you? Have you prepared a shack or a mansion for him to live in? We host the very Spirit of God. And wherever he is, we are. And wherever we are, he is. So God gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have him. But the question is, does he have us? Does he have all of us or just part of us? Is there room for other things? He said, I came to you in power. You know what this power is? It's the deutimus power. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's the inherent power, power residing in the virtue, which means you don't have to go look for power. It's already in you. When you go to your home to turn on your light, do you have to go to the main switch to flip it or you just turn on the light? Power is resonating through the walls, which allows you to turn that light on. So whatever God has called us to do, it's already on. We're already plugged in. We're already empowered by him to do his will. So that power that we resonate in is for the world. In closing, I was in the store, wasn't feeling good. And I said, well, Lord, I'm just going to get some Tylenol and go head home. And so my head is pounding. I'm, I'm at the cash register paying for this. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to talk to me about the cashier. Now, she's a young girl, didn't look like anything was wrong. But the Lord said to me, she's concerned about somebody in their family. They're really sick, and I want you to pray for her. 
I said, okay, so I'm thinking, how am I gonna bring this up to her? Cause you know, she's jovial, she's talking to an employee, having a good time. So she gives me my money and I said, you know what? I love praying for people. And I just feel like you're really concerned about somebody close to you that's sick. And she looked at me and her eyes began to fill with tears. And she said, my three-year-old has cancer. And I said, God sees, and he's gonna do something miraculous if you'll believe. Now, I wasn't gonna stand at the register and prophesy all this healing and anything else. I just said what the Holy Spirit told me to say. And I could tell she was ministered to. That's the kind of power he wants us to operate in. It's available for each and every one of us that have received him as savior. So I wanna encourage you, live in the 3D, spirit, soul, and body. Know that there's wholeness so that your faith does not rest on the wisdom of man, but the power and the authority in the presence of God. He loves each and every one of us. He wants to step not only in our situations, but people out there need to know him. Not just in your declaration, but your demonstration. Be determined to be the Bible that they may never read or the church they may never attend. To your neighbors, to your coworkers, be sensitive. Have one ear to heaven and one ear to earth and allow God to fill you daily so that you never feel depleted because you're ministering in the overflow. As Pastor Paul pray, or comes up, I'm gonna pray for you that we would come into a greater revelation of this 3D living, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to conform us, to teach us, to train us, and to reach people for the kingdom. Father, we thank you so much.